I'm Mike. And I'm Dan. Okay, this week, it's my pick. We're doing WALL-E. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. You all know WALL-E. You don't need me to introduce it. 2008, written by Andrew Stanton and directed by him from, from Pixar Studios, of course. WALL-E's kind of like a controversial Pixar movie, though. Dan, what, what's your take on its on its controversy? I love WALL-E as much as you do. And it, you're right. It's very, it doesn't have the the broad appeal like the Toy Story films or the Incredibles. Um, I think Pixar has kind of lost its way lately. It's, it hasn't really done anything really exciting. I think you're not think, excited for Lightyear the film. When Pixar, when a Pixar movie used to come out, it was an event. And now, and we've done a one shot on Lightyear, which if you like, if you want to hear our thoughts on Lightyear, you can go back and find that from a previous season. But I think Wally is a real, it's a film lover's film. I think everything a movie can do well, Wally does. It's got a dual structure, which of mm-hmm. course I love. Um, in fact, I believe that it's structured like The Wizard of Oz, but almost kind of the, the inverse. You know, my my story of how I came to watch this movie is, um, you know, so I do this film podcast now. So we have like a hundred episodes of my opinion. So you can imagine what it was like to see the amazing Spider-Man starring Tobey Maguire with all my excited friends and then me. Um, and then on my birthday, we went to go see Wally because it was the only thing playing. And we walked out of the theater and my friends expected me to start crapping on it or doing 15 minute film fanatics before that was a thing. Uh, when in fact I said, does anyone want to go in and watch it again? Because I just want, I want to see the first half again. I think it's, it's a, it's a beautiful movie. If you like structure, if you understand film structure and you appreciate it, you love Wally. I mean, let me ask you a quick question. Can you think of another Pixar character who's as expressive as Wally, but only says their name? Who? There isn't one. <laughs> Wally is 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 a perfect encapsulation of expression. In fact, to me, he's kind of what he's a 21st century version of the tramp. I thought, and it's so we'll talk about Buster Keaton, I'm sure, and Charlie Chaplin. But that's one thing. It's so funny that the what I wanted to talk about at the beginning is Wally as a person, is that I'm sure there's some deep evolutionary reason why we respond to Wally as we do. I'm sure the shape of his eyes has something to do with it. You know what he thinks and his eyes go, which parenthetically, by the way, if you want to see a movie with that's all sound effects. This is it. If you want to hear like things going and, and, and things go and like a lot of winches going, if you like the sound effects budget for this must have been as much as to make the entire matrix anyway. Um, but the thing that we respond to so much about Wally is not just his size and his eyes and things like that, but you know, what makes the, his anthropomorphic features so endearing to us, I think is that he's, he's a boy, he's a misfit. He's been on the earth for 700 years, but has an age of the day. You know he's beat up and he's tarnished and he's he's kind of broken. But I love I love the character so much because his relationship with Eve is so adolescent, and I mean that in, in as a compliment, right? Like remember when he meets Eve, all he wants to do is what? What does he want? He just wants to be around her. 
Yeah, right. He wants to be around her and to show that he wants to hold her hand. Now, that is the ultimate thing. Like if you can get a girl to hold your hand, first of all, if you can get a girl to hold your hand, that's great. But if you can, like when you're you're in middle school and because that's what Wally's like, he's like a middle schooler. That is a great, great sign. He's learned that from movies. He's learned that from watching Hello, Dolly over and over. But he's so clumsy in the way that we all are. Like remember when he he invites her to his, his trailer, I guess, and he starts showing her all his cool stuff? like the egg beater and the plastic poppers and things like that. He's so goofy in front of her. Yeah, you feel like he wants to show her his monster's manual. The The beautiful thing about Wally, though, uh, is can you think of a movie, and I'm thinking of one from the 80s, where also the main character can't say anything, but is, un- is more expressive than all the humans? From the 80s? Give me a hint. Steven Spielberg. Oh, E.T. It's e- and he well- even looks like Wally. Exactly. And and so the, the same things that are operating in E.T. are, are operating yeah. Wally, which which reminds us that innocence is not a quality that you have. It's an idea that you participate in. And I think that Wally is an invitation to participate in that idea or to acknowledge parts of you that you would rather not acknowledge on a day to day basis because they don't help you function as a person, but they help you enjoy this movie over 90 minutes. So welcome back. In part two, we like to talk about our favorite moments or moments we think epitomize the film as a whole. Mike, what's yours? Wally does something which is on the face of it innocuous, but to me was deeply shocking. And it took me a while to figure out what it is, which is at the end of his day, he goes back to his trailer, right? He's got his little insect, just like Pinocchio. He's going to go be a real boy. And he puts his VHS tape into the television. And what do we see for the first time in a Pixar movie? an actual film, human beings. We see real people, which is deeply jarring. And I love that the film's version of Hello, Dolly, but it's very jarring to see it on the TV screen. And I guess for anybody listening to this film podcast, there's something deeply endearing about watching Wally watch films and think about or interpret his own existence in relation to what he's seeing on the screen or he's having he's having a viewing moment and all i thought i was in a kid's cartoon the first time i watched it and all of a sudden i'm in rear window right i'm watching some i'm watching somebody watching and i'm having a filtered experience through another character it was deeply jarring especially again to, to to see the real the real humans on the screen. It's jarring in the beginning too, because we hear the music right in the beginning when the film starts. And I remember being jarred by that as well. And it's funny too, what also you mentioned reminds me of our earlier conversation about Wally as an adolescent. How does he know anything? It's from watching movies. Now think about how much movies have informed our existences and how we thought we understood things about dating and about romance and about life from watching movies. And there's a brilliant economy of of exposition there because what does he do while he's watching the videotape? He dances. He does the little dance. Yeah. And of course, in order to know the little dance and to, for him to have his boater and his little cane, he yeah. must have watched it hundreds or thousands of times. And so it gives the impression of a beautiful routine, which again, um, you know, if you, if you like literature, you study French or anything, you're like in Camus, the stranger, you're not even sure what tense you're in. Are you in the present tense or the past tense? Or right. Am I in the everyday tense? Right. You're like you thought you were in a kid's cartoon, you're in a Flaubert novel right. and there's real human beings and there's habitual actions being taken in front of you. And you're not sure where you are, but I think that every single action that Wally takes is endearing for the fact that there's, there's a beautiful soundscape, but no speech. 
Yes. And those little moments too, like, like it's endearing when he dances and he's, he's using the hubcap, like you said, as his bowler, but there's also the great moments where like he, he, he comes home or he has to take the treads off his tires and he goes through his whole routine. He has this little lunchbox he brings with him, but it's to put fun objects in that he finds during the day. So all the little moments and the big moments of the film, like when he remembers Eve at the end, that's like a big, big breathtaking moment. They all add up to, to, to endear him to you in the same way that the, the tramp endears himself to us. There's a couple of techniques that movies take. I mean, one is silence, right? Everyone feels like they know the tramp on a personal basis because when he's not talking, you're writing your own thoughts into the tramp. But also there's the beautiful close point of view, right? Which is that we get a lot of Wally. We don't necessarily get a lot of E.T. We get some private E.T. just to you know make a quick comparison. We get a lot of Wally up front. And every single moment is written with significance to the point at which it, it would be unbearable to endure that for 90 minutes to know a character so closely, which is, is why I think the structure of this movie is even more beautiful. It would be unbearable if he started speaking in addition to all those other things. And also the fact that he has all that screen time, that's what makes Hello, Dolly so shocking because we're living in Wally's world. And we're, we're with Wally and then we see actual humans from a movie. And we're like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Like it's, it's a, it, it flips it around. Your excitement is his excitement. It's, yeah. it's a moment of, of absolute sympathy. So my moment was when, you know, I often, and I've seen this movie more than once. And I often think to myself, I wonder what would have happened if they tried to pull it off and made the whole thing silent. Part of me wishes, I wish that could have been sustained. Um, but, you know, be that as it may, I think it's my moment is when uh, he goes up to the ship and he, you know, the whole thing with the plant starts and they have to return the plant and things like that. And Sigourney Weaver's the voice of the ship, but there's all those fun 2001 jokes. It's when two of the fat guys, and by the way, this is, this movie is from 2008. I wonder if they could have done this today and without it being called to task for fat shaming or something for different body types. But anyway, when the two fat guys are in their scooters and they're, they're going down the lane and one of them says, uh, what do you want to do today? You want to go to the virtual driving range and hit a few balls in space? And the other guy says, Nah, we did that yesterday. And the first one goes, well, we should do something. And that's it. And then they zoom away. And I think it's great what's happened with by and large is because, I mean, the joke's pretty obvious that, that they all become inf infantilized. They all become giant fat babies in their scooters. Each day is perfect, but they have nothing to do. They have nothing to do. And it's funny that them in their scooters have it made where it's it's 70 degrees every day and they could do whatever they want. But Wally, among all his junk, lives a much more fulfilling life. It's not an original point either because there are some beautiful homages to other films that I'd like to touch on uh, within those. Can you think of the, of the two main ones that I have in mind? Well, when they show the babies, of course, I thought about the, about the matrix, but I, you know, that would, I would have, really oh, that's really to... interesting. I actually didn't think of the matrix at all. Yeah. So I thought, I thought of the matrix and I thought of um, Willy Wonka's uh, chocolate factory. Also interesting. Never occurred to me. What are yours? Uh, well, of course, with the, with the the computer that's trying to shut down Wally, you think of is how? Yeah, that's a two thousand. You, you yeah. think of two thousand one, yeah. a Space Odyssey. But the the second half of the movie is all structured like Logan's Run to me, and, <laughs> renew, and it's, it's making renew. It's making the same. It's making the same commentary on life. It's like, what if we gave you everything, um, but we but we grossly shortened it? You know, what would you what would you think? Would that still be paradise to you? It's not. It's not a novel point. Um, but it's it's a very shocking point after the after the first half of the film, right? The, the first half of the film is very clearly not just beautiful, but it's setting you up for the interpretation 
of, of yeah. the second half of the film, which is which is quite shocking. It's also shocking, by the way, uh, to see a comedian who I like a lot, um, uh, the indelible Fred Willard. Yes. Uh, on, on the screen to pop up out of nowhere to be the president of the United States when Earth is evacuated. That's a beautiful touch. I do remember seeing it in the theaters when it first came out. I think to myself, I wonder if they're going to pull this off and the whole thing's going to be silent. And we'll talk about that in part three. You, you can't. Okay, so in part three, of course, we like to talk about the title or the ending or the key takeaways. The, the title of this one is obvious, Dan. So what, what's your big takeaway or your, your thoughts on the ending? I want to talk more a little bit about the silent movie bit. I forwarded you an email a couple of days ago. I don't know if you had a chance to read it, but it was, a, it was David Mamet, who we love. We keep talking about David Mamet. He had a TV show called The Unit. And um, he was getting complaints from the producers that um, the, the characters didn't reveal enough. There wasn't enough exposition in the scenes about who wants what. And so he wrote this memo to all of his writers and it's hilarious. It, it's all transcribed in capital letters. It's really, really instructive. And he says, um, here's the rules for drama. You know, what does the hero want? What happens if he can't get it? And what now? And he says that he hates exposition and dialogue. And he says to them, um, here's the exact quote from it. If you pretend the characters can't speak and write a silent movie, you will be writing great drama. Real, real storytelling, you know, to have the silent, and Hitchcock said that too, that a silent movie could be the ultimate movie. And I think that while he pulls it off as much as you can for a Pixar movie, as much as you can maybe for a modern movie, um, and I think it does it wonderfully, but my favorite parts of this are, are the parts where they're on earth before they go into the whole by and large thing. I actually, I, I like the by and large part, especially in, conjunction or in relation to the to the first part i think because it's very difficult to build that kind of structure and still be engaging in fact it's not it's not really the the point of wally right the, the point of wally is not necessarily to glorify the life that he builds out of other people's garbage it's it's a good thing that he is able to build a life out of other people's garbage, but that's not his ultimate goal either. There's, there's more than just leftover VHS tapes. Uh, you know, there, there's, yeah. there's real, there's real purpose. And so I, I think it would have been close to impossible. To, it, it would be like building a 21 story treehouse. Like you build a one or two story treehouse, but eventually you need cement. You need, you need structure, which is in interaction, dialogue, voice noise uh soundscape and i i love silent films too but but they're they're brief often with good reason or they use a way too many titles right i i actually the the film that i think is looming in the background of a lot of wally uh, is a long narrative silent film which is metropolis um but there's a lot of talking in metropolis if you watch it there's a, there's a lot of signal cards yeah. right it's not it's not all silent but the silence is used for the setup and then is used deliciously and beautifully throughout the rest of the film. And I think that's how Wally uses it too. Of course, because of course, what does Wally do? What does he do that, that many, many protagonists and many, many movies do? He saves the world. Of course. He saves the world. Two things that make me laugh every time I see this movie is when Eve's spaceship lands and he starts digging into the ground. Like while he starts furiously digging into, into the ground to hide from the spaceship, that makes me laugh every time. And I laugh every single time the robot on the spaceship goes, Foreign contaminant. Foreign contaminant. And starts to clean up. I don't know why I think that's so funny, but every single time he comes on, it's just foreign contaminant. I start laughing. Like to return to your earlier point, it really is about um, the various ages 
of the characters is right. what matters, right? Because you have an infantile 40-year-old, you have an immortal 12-year-old, right? You have you have a real adult who's no longer alive, which is uh, Fred Willard on all the DVDs that they've saved. Uh, it's, it's really an unbelievable movie. Um, as you alluded to earlier, I think they get away with with things that even now that you couldn't yeah. get away with Wally would be a controversial movie uh, for many reasons. But, at, but at the time it was considered tame and maybe charming, but it certainly charmed this viewer. Um, I wasn't in the mood for any other Pixar movies after Wally, except Wally, because I felt that that someone had finally gotten it right uh, from a formula perspective, from a character perspective, from from every perspective. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you've enjoyed our conversation about Wally. Remember, you could follow us on Twitter at 15MINFILM. And now we're very excited. You could also follow us on Letterboxd. Letterboxd at 15MINFILM. Let us know what you want us to watch. We're going to keep the requests coming this season. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye-bye. We'll see you next time.